Hello, this is Tim Convoy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. For those who maybe missed the explanation earlier, uh, there was kind of a poll taking taken around the country, I think around the world, and the songs that were sung today are being sung in all the churches around, not only our country, but even globally. And so the songs, even to the doxology, uh, was one big concert of praise. And so I look, I was like, how cool is it to think that when you're singing, how great is our God, how many other voices at this time, at this hour across our country, at least in our time zone, are singing the same exact thing and how that would ripple across in each time zone. Pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, real cool. Amen. How many would rather be here than the best hospital in Indianapolis? Yeah, I knew it, I knew it. Hey, we have a special guest. I'm not going to draw attention to her, but her name's Barbara Doan. Sitting next to my wife. Don't all look. But Donna, or for Donna, Barbara is a rock star for us. Why? Because a number of years ago, when my wife was thinking of telecommuting, and living elsewhere other than the D.C. area. Barbara said, you know, I'll sign your paperwork anywhere you want to live, but not till you visit Nashville, Indiana. So Barbara is a reason that we're here. So, ah, I was wondering what the reaction was going to be. Good. I, I, I didn't want to throw tomatoes or something. No. But uh, I remember when Jerry said Nashville, Indiana, I said, Indiana? I've been to Indiana. It's just flat. There's nothing there but cornfields. And little did we know that there was a little place of paradise here nestled in the southern central part of Indiana. Amen? Amen. So it's exciting. To, yeah. Praise the Lord. Thanks, Barbara, for giving us a tip. Well-kept secret. But uh, praise the Lord. It's always good seeing our young people up front. There, my awesome ones. Yeah, my cheering section. Hey, um, all right. Believe it or not, we're going to be in Acts 27. We're back in Acts. All three of them said, yeah. It's actually been a few weeks, and we're going to go through an intro to that in a moment. Um, But before we do that, I think there's kind of like some spiritual housekeeping. And by the way, I noticed, I said, now I know why first service attendance was much higher. So it's, you, we got to get with some of those in second service that are defecting the first service and say, hey, what are you doing? Um, spiritual housekeeping. There, there has been a spirit lately that has been trying to get the preeminence amongst our people, in our personal lives. And I'm reminded in Scripture that Satan is a slanderer. Is that true? He is an accuser. The Bible says he is an accuser of the brethren. And he accuses us before the Father day and night. That's pretty active, isn't he? 
So while you're sleeping and getting that re-energized rest that we need so much, while you're sleeping and resting, he's not resting. And he's bad-mouthing us to the Father. He's accusing us. He's saying, Father, God, did you see what Tim is doing today? It's probably the only time in his life he doesn't lie. He's like, man, he doesn't have to make things up about me. He accuses us to God the Father. and But the thing is, our Heavenly Father knows that his accusations fall on deaf ears because it's not about you or it's not about me. It's about his son Jesus and what Jesus did for us. Amen? So he said, yeah, that, that's been paid for under the blood of Christ. That was paid for at the cross. But he accuses us to the Father. He gets nowhere. But there's two other areas he also accuses us, and that's one to another is another area. In other words, he puts a seed in our mind. He whispers in our ear. And he gives his slander or accusations. And he says, hey, did you see what so-and-so said? Did you hear what they said to you? Did you see how when you walked in a room, they turned away? And he puts these thoughts in our minds, and we say, man, that's right. What do they mean by that? Or did, hey, did you hear what he said? I'd be offended if I were you at what he said. Now, I've said it before. I can be an equal opportunity offender. I can offend not just individuals. I can offend multitudes, masses at one time. I can. I can. Don't be offended at that. It's true. And there's times that he whispers in our ears that, hey, so-and-so is offensive, or he said something that's offended you, and he helps and causes us to walk in his spirit of offense. So he accuses us to each other, but he also accuses us to ourselves. And he whispers in our ear and he says, what kind of Christian are you? You know, you think you love the Lord? Look at you. Man, there's 99% more believers in that church that walk with the Lord than you are. What? You think God gives you a word that you're to share with someone? No, God doesn't do that. What, what are they going to think if you tell them that? What will they think of you? He is constantly whispering in our ear. And he's constantly slandering us to ourselves. And we start thinking, yeah, I guess we're not all that in a bag of chips. And we just constantly, constantly to ourselves and to each other. Well, it's interesting that anyone know Ron Eddins? D. Ron Eddins? Yeah, he rocks. He's in the very back row today, first quadrant, alcove. Ron has been on a mission from God this past month throughout Oklahoma, Nebraska, and elsewhere to have dominion over the overpopulation of turkeys. So he's been out there turkey hunting. But Ron has the spiritual gift of discernment. He can pick up on things that some of us may miss. He has a gift of discernment. He's got the prophetic gift as God speaks to him, and he's a very humble servant of God. And after being gone for three, four weeks, and he came back and he walked in the building. As soon as he walked in the building, he said, Whoa something's not right. There is a spirit that's going on that has, that's just trying to cause division and strife and problems and struggles. Now, maybe most pastors would say, oh no, everything's fine and, you know, gloss it over, make us all think that we're all doing great and everything's going great. But not this pastor. When I heard that, I said, funny you should say that. 
Because I've been sensing this same thing, and the whole time I'm sensing it, I'm thinking, it's all me. And I can offend people, and I have offended people while I was talking to them. I got a text that said, did I offend you? <laughs> right, Ron? I'm like, wow. And, but the thing is, I may be good, but I'm not that good. I can't offend that many people all at one time. I mean, you know what I mean. They're constantly, why are these things coming in our, our mind? Interesting, even this morning, someone else who also has the gift of discernment said, man, I've been thinking that same thing, feeling it. I heard it on the way into church this morning. A visitor visiting with us came in this morning and said, whoa, where's the Holy Spirit? As soon as you got up there and started speaking and, and started praying, he, she said, immediately, I felt it lifted and this spirit, there is a spirit that comes against our body. Don't think that there isn't, right? You say, well, I thought we were this great church. Well, let me tell you, we are a great church, in my opinion. Amen? We're servants of the Most High God. But because we want to serve God, the devil is going to go after us. He doesn't go after the do-nothings. They're doing exactly what he wants them to do. Nothing. Right? He's going to go after the do-somethings. Those that are trying to serve God. Those that are trying to walk. And I believe as God has been working in and through new life and it has great plans for new life, that the devil's seeing this and saying, wait a minute, we don't want this. And he's trying to drive a wedge of division in our body. And we're not going to tolerate it. Amen? We're not going to tolerate it. Amen. Give it up for Jesus. And we're not going to tolerate it as a body. We're not going to tolerate it as individuals. I, for one, not going to tolerate it. I said, you know what? I'm not here to chase down every time I offended someone good night alive. I could be really busy doing that. I'm here to say, Tim, who's whispering in your ear? And if it, listen, the Bible says, take every thought into captivity, means prisoner of war. Take every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Take it, prisoner of war, take that thought, interrogate it, say, where did you come from? What are you doing in my mind? And if it's not of God, then I'll tell you something, God didn't put that in your mind. And it's a thought that's planted by Satan, and we have to say, get behind me, Satan. Amen? Interrogate that thought and say, where did that come from? And I have committed myself not to walk in a fence, not to walk in a chip on my shoulder, not to think everyone's out to get me. Let me tell you something. There's only one out to get me. That's the one who wants to kill, destroy, and steal from us, right? But if God be for us, then who can be against us? Amen? Is God for you? I want to invite you to join with me to make a concerted effort to say, wait a minute. I'm going to take these thoughts into captivity. I'm going to say, wait, why am I thinking this? Why do I feel this about whomever? And first of all, if there is a problem, go to the person. Go to the, did you hear that? It was go to the person, not go to the pastor. All right? We and myself and Corey, we're not the spiritual police. We don't write citations for offending someone. Here's a citation for you. Ooh, well, that's a lot of points on that one. You know, for... Go to the person. Deal with it. So commit yourself to going and deal with it. If it's with me, I'll be forming a line down the hall right after service. And I'll take care of it one at a time. We can do that. But you know what? Let's commit ourselves 
to fight the battle in the right battlefield. Amen? And the way you fight Satan is not slandering back. It's not ignoring him and think he'll go away. The way you fight him is with a heart of submission to God. It says, submit to God. Resist the devil means to stiff arm and he will flee. So I want to ask you to join with me as we just submit ourselves to God. Stand with me. I just want to invite you to stand. Now the Bible says, it's up to you whether you want to go by the Bible or not, but the Bible says men, generically, or men or women, ought always to pray lifting up holy hands. You go, well, that's not me. I don't, I was never raised that way. I don't know. It's just I'm telling you what God said. So you can go with that or not. Join with me as we pray. Father, today we come before you and we submit ourselves to you, Lord. You are the God of this church. Your son is the head of this body. You are the one that saved us. You are the one that is changing us, Lord. You didn't save the best and most brilliant and the greatest ones in this world. You saved we who are lowly, you said. Your scripture says that, that we who are afar off, we who wanted nothing to do with you, you came in our life and saved us and, and forgave us and have changed us. And we say, thank you, Jesus. Today we recognize we have an enemy, an adversary who is the devil. And today we rebuke the devil. We rebuke him in the name of Jesus Christ. We say, Satan, go home. We say, Satan, get behind us. And we say, Satan, you have no authority over me. Today I refuse to walk in offense. I refuse to listen to slander that's put in my mind. I refuse to, to let him have any sway in my life. Today, I surrender my life to you, Lord Jesus. And we say, Holy Spirit, come and move in our midst and change our heart and save our souls and just do a mighty work in our midst today. On this day, the day of Pentecost, we recognize your Spirit's greatness. Move, we ask, as we submit ourselves to you. And in Jesus' name, we all say, Amen, 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 Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You can remain standing or be seated or whatever's comfortable. Amen. Hey, bud, yeah. Bud, man, I tell you, he, he's been saying, when are we getting back to the book of Acts? Look at map. Uh, well, I, I got a map for you today. We're good. We're good. <laughs> All right. We're going to be in chapter 27 of Acts. Now, before we start reading, for those of you who are like me, that have the gift of forgetting. Uh, I mean, am I the only one that walks into the room and wonders why? Uh, it's God's way of getting us to exercise as we get older. We got to get up, walk in. What am I doing here? And I sometimes I go, I backtrack and say, okay, it'll come to me. It'll come to me a couple, th- and it doesn't always come to me. Oh yeah, where was I? Where, how did we get to 27? I know, 25, 26, here we are. Paul has been a prisoner. He was accused, falsely accused, see how the devil works, of bringing Gentiles into the temple. They seized Paul, remember that? The Romans grabbed him, they thought he was an Egyptian assassin. That's weird. They take him into the barracks, they interrogate him. The Jewish leaders wanted to kill him, but they said, wait a minute, he's a Roman citizen, we can't do that. So he then is interrogated by Felix. Felix 
holds him, listens to the trial, Felix knew he was innocent. But Felix wanted a bribe. Do you remember that? He was waiting for them to pay him a bribe so he could let Paul go. No bribe came. And so there he stayed in prison. Then there was a group that wanted to assassinate Paul. He said, all right, tell Felix to get Paul to go here. Forty of us will lay in wait. Remember that? Forty men that said, we will neither eat or drink until we've killed Paul. These are some awful skinny people today. <laughs> For two years, they never got him. And so while they laid an ambush, the ruler said, Felix said, you know what? I'm going to send them to Caesarea. So he ends up to Caesarea, northern Israel along the coast. We'll see in a moment. And while he's in Caesarea, a new sheriff is in town. His name is Festus. Remember Festus? Not the one from Gunsmoke, remember? And Festus comes and and he's trying to hear the trial. And then King Agrippa comes. Remember Agrippa? He was a problem child, wasn't he? (laughs) King Agrippa who had married his sister Bernice. Yeah. And so they have him on trial. So they have him on trial, and he gives his testimony. He tells them how Jesus had worked in his life. Oh, yeah, by the way, remember back when he was under Felix, and everything was coming against him, Jesus appeared to him that evening in chapter uh, 23, verse 11, and Jesus said to Paul, be of good cheer, Paul. It means be encouraged, be excited. It means be joyful, Paul. Be joyful. Because as you've witnessed of me here in Jerusalem, so also you will witness to me in Rome. He says, you're going to Rome, Paul. Be excited. Now, Paul, that evening was probably like, yeah. I mean, hey, if Jesus just appeared to me while I'm in a dungeon in a cell, and there's Jesus saying, hang in there, partner. You're going to Rome. Do you think you'd be excited? I'd be like, that's that's awesome. You know, I mean, do you think you would be excited? I know, it's hard for you to envision being in a prison. You know, I can help in that area, you know. You do know that. I can, you know. So he says, be in good cheer. I would be in good cheer the next day. I mean, like, yeah, Jesus met with me last night. I know the will of God in my life. (laughs) Ha, ha. I'd probably be good the next day, maybe even through the week. But once you put a month behind me, I'm going to be struggling. And then a year goes by, and you're still there. And then two years goes by, and here you are still telling the story again to these leaders. Here you are giving the account, and here you are telling Agrippa and Bernice. And when you get done telling them, and come to the climax, how they need to accept Christ as their Savior, what happens Festus jumps up, and with a loud voice, he says, Paul, you're crazy. You're mad. You are beside yourself. Does anyone remember that? It's like three verses before what we're about to read. And he says, I'm not mad, Festus. Let me tell you, because what I'm saying, King Agrippa knows full well, because he was Jewish, as Paul is Jewish. And so he goes, he knows what I'm talking about. The long story short, or maybe that's a long story long, I don't know. The bottom line was, Agrippa said, you know what? Man, we could have set him free if it wasn't for the fact that he appealed to Caesar. And he says, if you want to go to Caesar, then to Caesar you will go. Remember that? Clear as mud? Now. 
the rest of the story. Verse 1, chapter 27. Now you're up to speed. It's been a few weeks since we've been in Acts, I understand. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy. By the way, when was it decided that they should go to Italy? Was it just decided in the previous verse? No. It was decided two years ago that they were to go to Italy. Right? Jesus said to him, you're going to go to Rome. He already made the decision. And it's amazing. When God says, here's what's going to happen, we're really slow on the uptake, aren't we? It took them two years. They figured out what God already said two years ago and said, you're going to Rome. And they said, you know, I think we'll send you to Rome. So they delivered Paul and some of the prisoners, means they lump him in the same group, to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regime. Now, Augustan regime, Augustan means revered. It means person of valor. And if you're the head of the Roman Empire, you say, I would like you to call me person of valor. And so as a Caesar, he could just say, here's the title I want you to give me. And so I'm the august one. Matter of fact, I'd like you to name a month after me since you named one after Julius. Remember? Those are the months of our year. We're named after these two mugs. So here he is. Julius is a centurion. It means he's over 100 people. And it's not just any soldiers. These are the soldiers of valor. These are the Augustan regime. These are the ones that would be right there, right along Caesar. They're going to see Caesar. They're bringing this soul, these prisoners to see Caesar. And so here they are in this real, this, I mean, this is like the high-end SWAT team taking him to Rome. And it's interesting, I thought it was kind of funny, actually, that the name of the centurion that was in charge of them was named Julius. Why do I think that's funny? That's a good question. Because you know what his name means? Julius means Soft hair. <laughs> See? I told you it was funny. <laughs> I look at all the words in the Greek and, and go through them all, and I, as I'm preparing, I'm like, really? Soft hair? When you call your commander, Commander Soft Hair, would you come here for a minute? Yeah. Like, well, Mr. Soft Hair. I know some of you are going, like, hmm, mine's kind of hard. So, but if your name is Soft Hair, and the Caesar of the Roman Empire has got the same name, no one's going to poke fun at you. But centuries later, we can laugh at him. Now, unless your friend's name Julius, I didn't tell you what the name means. So, Julius leads them. Oh, yeah, where are we? We're only in verse 2. Mamma mia. All right. So, entering a ship of Adramitium. Adramitium, by the way, means... I shall abide in death. Wow. How would you like to get on a ship that's named, I shall abide in death? As you are heading to prison in Rome, <laughs> I'm going to see Caesar. I shall abide in death. I'd be going, okay, I'm not looking at the name. I'm on the board. Then it goes on, we, plural, put to sea, meaning to set to sail along the coast of Asia. Remember, this is not the Asia we think of in the Orient. It's actually, it's not Oriental, it's actually Occidental. It's to the west of where they're at. This is the province, Roman province of Asia, we'll see in a moment, 
which would be southwest Turkey today, where Ephesus is located. So they went to set sail along the coast. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us, plural. The next day, we landed in Sidon, and soft hair treated, I mean, Julius <laughs> treated Paul kindly. The word is philanthropist. Hmm. And gave him liberty, means to loose the chains, to go to his friends and receive care. So, in other words, they looked at him and said, Hey, you could use some help. You could use a little care. Go see your friends. Verse 4 When we, plural, had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. By the way, that's the name of the message today, when the winds are contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found, it literally means to acquire financially, to, he found an Alexandrian ship, a ship from Egypt that had sailed up into Asia province, but it was sailing to Italy, and he put us on board, plural. Then we had sailed slowly many days. This, they've been at it for days now. And arrived with difficulty, underline, off Sidus. The wind not permitting us to proceed. We sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmoni, passing it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Did we get all that? No. Matt, please. All right. This is, this is an old school pointer. Some of you remember, they used to take maps and they pulled them down like this. And they'd pull them down and the teacher would go, now here, all right? Some of your kids are like, what? Don't they have laser pointers? They do. You know how many people offer to buy me a laser pointer at their service? The problem is when you put it on a screen, it doesn't work. So you need something that can point to that screen. Maybe Lucian or somebody's got one of these, Barbara. You can tell me about it. Point of screen. But old school. We like old school. Amen. I won't, I won't touch. Someone said, don't touch the screen. I won't touch the screen. I won't break. Caesarea, named after Caesar. You guys are so sorry. Soft hair guy. They sailed from Caesarea to Sidon. So they just go whoop, right here to Sidon. They didn't get very far. They stayed along the coast. They could see land was in sight. They're like, okay, we're doing good. We're doing good. Why did, you know, they're in Caesarea. They're going to be going up to Italy. It looks like the straightest line is right? But why didn't they do that? Why didn't they just sail right over here? Because the winds were contrary. They said, man, these winds are not helping. They go up to Sidon. And then as they start sailing, they started going west, but the winds were contrary. And so they took shelter behind Cyprus. So they came around this way, say, man, okay, let's get around Cyprus, block some of this wind, and they could whip around. And then when they got out here, they finally landed in Myra. And they were like, that was hard. 
They land here. They stayed here until they finally said, okay, let's try this again. They go out to sea. It's not working. They go back up to Sidus right here. All right. It's right next to Ephesus. And so, so they make it here. Did it take them a day to get there? It took many days and a lot of difficulty. Goes, Man, this is crazy. We're trying to get over here, and we only got this far, and we got this far, and now we got this far. And then they said, well, let's try it again. And they start heading west. Uh-oh, it's not working. And they have to hide behind the island of Crete. And then finally they land in a place called Bear Haven. Bear Haven, please. Oh, sweet fair haven. Anyone ever see that show? That's right. It's Popeye. It's Popeye the movie. It's funny. They were in Fair Haven. This is actually Fair Haven in the island of Crete. They will not winter here because it was not commodious to wintering. As you can see, it's very dry. There were, was not agriculture there. There were not fruit trees there. There was not a good food supply there. So they're going to leave here, and they're going to want to get over to Phoenix on the other side of the island, but that's for next week. All right. Everybody with me on that? Clear as mud. Don't take my pointer. So you can see that they had an objective, and the plan was this. All right, here's the plan. We're at point A. We want to get to point B. However, the journey from point A to point B did not go the way they wanted it to go. As a matter of fact, there were things that were out of their control that caused them to have to divert to another direction and then go to another direction and then fight it for more days. And it was difficult and they struggled and it was long days. And I could imagine how hard it must have been on a ship named I Abide in Death. And yet they continued and pressed on when the winds were contrary. Have you ever tried to go from point A to point B? I mean, physically in the winds? Has anyone ever driven through Oklahoma, Nebraska, Kansas, South Dakota? Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, truck drivers out there pulled a camper through South Dakota one time. The winds were not commodious. To travel. By the way, pay no attention to that flashing light, and hopefully you did see it also. Okay. <laughs> so here I am. I'm under a bridge. It's hailing. The clouds are green. The radio saying there is a a tornado in the area, but it's at the airport. So I'm like, where's the airport? Can't find it on the map. But I look out the window, and there's the blue line lights of the airport. Uh oh. And so, that's time you get out of Dodge. Boom! I get up to I-90 Interstate, and I started heading towards Rapid City, South Dakota. Why? Because there's three tornadoes that have touched down south in Nebraska, heading diagonally through South Dakota. There's nothing more exciting than pulling a camper through the winds when the tornadoes come in. N-E-M, N-E-M. You got the idea. But I tracked it. I said, okay, they're going 30 miles an hour. I'm going this fast. I should get past it. Praise the Lord, I did. Might be a little crazy, but hey, you got to get by. You got. You can't let these things get in your way. That's kind of like the winds we're talking about that we'll later see in this chapter. 
hurricane winds. You lived in Florida. It's like 20 years in Florida. Been through a few hurricanes. And when those hurricanes are coming in and are whipping up, you know what's really cool to do? Stand out there like this. It is. It's amazing. You can lean right into that wind like, whoa. Take your kids out. <laughs> oh, there she goes. All right. Thanks for taking care of that, Zach. They're going to meet some winds in our chapter. Actually, the winds will have a name called Eurachlodon. There's a hurricane named in the chapter. It's actually going to grab hold of them and just take them wherever it wants for two weeks. They haven't got there quite yet. In our chapter, this chapter is full of wind. Verse 4 says the winds were contrary. Verse 7, the winds not permitting. Verse 13 uh, the south winds blew softly. We like that. 14, a tempestuous headwind arose. 15, uh, we could not head into the wind. All through here is wind, wind, wind. We'll name the wind. It's all through it. Now in Scripture, there's interesting, the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as a wind. You know that, right? Today in Israel and across the world, the Jews are celebrating the day of Pentecost. Now, years ago on the day of Pentecost, Jesus established His church. The Holy Spirit, it said, blew in like a mighty rushing wind. Amen? The amazing part is, the Spirit blows in like a wind, and lives are changed, and people are saved, and good things happen. It doesn't say buildings were blown over and light poles fell down. It doesn't speak of any destruction. The Spirit comes in, moves in the hearts and lives of people. Scripture speaks of the Holy Spirit as wind. The Scripture speaks of Jesus, or excuse me, of the Father speaking to Job in chapter 38 as wind. You ever read Job? Anyone read Job? Some of you just live it, some read it. Okay. Yeah. And it's such a cool, I mean, chapter 37, 38, the previous ones are good, but come on. You got three guys that are telling you, hey, I know what your problem is. you got sin in your life. Get right with God. Problems will go away. Remember those guys? It, really, it's like how not to do hospital visitation. It's like, and then God says, all right, I've had enough of that. I want to talk to you. And there was a great whirlwind, a, literally tornadic winds, and the voice speaks out of the winds. Doesn't destroy Job, doesn't break things to pieces, there's no destruction. It was a, in this wind, God revealed himself, and God revealed truth to Job. And he says, where were you when I created the foundations of the earth? I love it. It goes through all these, where were you? So there's times that the Spirit is spoken of as a wind. There's times that the Father is spoken as a wind. However, I realize that the devil is a great counterfeiter. And I find that he is also described as a wind or as storms. Ephesians 4 verse 14 says, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, literally false teachings by the trickery of men or the craftiness of deceitful scheming. So he said, there is a wind that bears down on us. But this wind is not the wind of revelation. It's not the the wind of spiritual growth and, and working as the Holy Spirit. This wind has another purpose. It creates waves in our life. This wind brings in... Uh, 
false doctrine, anything against the truth of the Word of God. This wind has a, a way of moving us, not in a good way, but in a bad way. And Paul writes to the Ephesians, who was right there on the coast where they landed, and he writes to them, he says, be careful that the devil, he wants to get waves in your life and storms in your life and winds in your life that will blow contrary to where you are at and to where God is trying to get you. Right? You see, when I look at this, I realize that they were in Caesarea, but God was getting him to Rome. And I don't believe that this, this whole trip was not without opposition. I believe this trip is with a lot of opposition. The devil did not want Paul getting the good news of the gospel to the head capital of the Roman Empire. He did not want that message to get to Rome. This is the first time it's going to be, get to Rome through Paul. And so he did everything he can to veer him off course, everything he can to get him in the harbor, everything he can to stop this ship from getting there, even to where this hurricane is going to come and destroy the ship that he's actually on. You see, friends, God wants to move in your life and my life. And he wants to move us from point A and move us to point B. But if you are anything like me, you and I realize it's never a straight line, is it? When he wants to move in our lives and we're trying to get there, there are always winds of opposition that come against us. There's always something that's moving us and stopping us and say, no, don't go where the Lord is trying to take you. And it's at that time in life that I realize in my life there's two things that I need to remember. And the first is I need to remember who I am. Who I am. Because verse 1 stated that when Paul was placed on that ship, he was not placed simply as a passenger. He was placed as a prisoner. The Romans saw Paul as a prisoner who needed to be delivered, period. There was no value to him other than being a Roman citizen had more value than the non-Roman citizen uh, prisoners. But he was a prisoner. He was in shackles. Remember when he was in front of Agrippa? He said, I wish that all men were like me, except with these chains. Remember he just said that a few verses ago. So here is a, a shackled prisoner, and the Romans define him simply as a prisoner. But how did he get there? He became a prisoner because the Jewish leaders defined him not as a prisoner. They defined him as a problem. Not a prisoner of sin, but a problem to eradicate, a problem to get rid of. He was a, a obstacle to them. He was spreading the good news that people were being delivered through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, they were not under their control and their thumb anymore. And they said, man, we've got to get rid of this problem. And their solution was to execute Paul. Do you remember that? They wanted to kill him. And it was the Romans that actually saved him and said, no, 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 you don't get rid of your problems that way. By the way, it is not a good way to get rid of your problems. Huh? Just drag them out and execute them. They wanted to. But the Romans saw Paul as a, or as a prisoner. The Jews saw Paul as a problem. But Jesus saw Paul as a preacher, as a proclaimer, as an instrument in his hand that he said for Four chapters ago, he said, I am sending you to Rome. Why? To proclaim 
the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, the world looked at him and said, here's how we define you. You're a problem child. You're in my way. You're an obstacle. You're a thorn in my flesh. I wish you weren't here, Paul. The Romans looked at him and said, you're, you're nothing but a prisoner. You've got no value to us. You're a prisoner. You're shackled. You're valueless. But Jesus looks at Paul and says, no, you're my preacher. You're my proclaimer. You're the, my vessel is going to carry my truth. And the question is, Paul, who are you going to believe? You see, if Paul listened to the Jewish leaders and took how they defined him as a problem, and Paul always just thought of himself as this problem, I'm in everybody's way, I create riots wherever I go, <laughs> he does, doesn't he? About, just about every town, they don't, he doesn't go out on a red carpet, he goes, you know, he goes out on a rail, they try to get him out of town. If he thought of himself simply as the problem because that's what they say that I am, then let me tell you something. Paul would have been so discouraged, so despondent, so depressed. He would have been insecure. Listen, if you think you are a problem child, you will be one of the most insecure people you've ever met. And if you haven't met yourself yet, look in the mirror and say, there I am. If we see ourselves as the problem, as the world defines us, then we'll live that way. You will think that you're a problem. You will walk like you're the problem. You will tell yourself that you're a problem. You will pray like you're a problem. You say, what? You know how often how they go? Lord, I know you don't want to hear my voice anymore. I know you're probably sick of me praying this prayer. I know you're probably tired of me dealing with this issue. And you know what we're saying? Lord, I know that you think that I'm a problem and I'm your problem child and I'm back and I'm a mess and I got all these issues and I'm so sorry. Some people in other churches in other states can pray like that. Why? Because they see themselves and they define themselves like the world does. You're nothing but a problem. And so they think that way and they believe it. And remember, you behave according to how you believe. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And if you think you're a problem, you're going to believe you're a problem, you're going to be a problem. And the biggest problem is going to be to ourselves. If he listened to these leaders and thought himself as a problem, he'd been one of the most discouraging, depressing people nobody would want to hang around with. And then he'd say, you know what? See, I just told you I'm a problem. He listened to the Roman soldiers and say, you're just a prisoner. You're in bondage. There's no way out of the bondage. You have little value. I mean, if you think you're a problem, you're dragging your chin. When you think you're a prisoner, you're dragging your chains. You're like, well, man, I guess I am a problem. I guess because you know, I'm in prison. I can't break out of this. Paul doesn't see himself as they define him. He doesn't see himself as the Romans define him. He saw himself as God defined him. He was a prince of the most high God, period. Even when circumstances dictated differently to him. Even when the winds blew contrary to what he knew God wanted him to do. Let me tell you something, friends. If you are seeking to do what God wants you to do and you are moving forward and the winds are contrary and you're moving with difficulty and everything slams you to shore, it's at those times when you're leaning into that wind, the devil's right there whispering into your ear. 
And he's right there telling you, you're no good. God's tired of hearing your voice. Look at how little progress you are making. And then we start listening to him. We say, wow. I guess you're right. I guess God's tired of hearing my voice. Can't tell you how many times I've heard that. People say that over time. God, I'm sure God's tired of hearing me. He's never tired of hearing your voice. You know that? Never. He wakes. He's awake all night waiting for you to wake up so he can hear your voice. Right? He never sleeps or slumbers. Is that right? Like, no, he's just waiting for Pastor Tim's voice. <laughs> no, he's not. He's heard my voice. Paul knew that he was a prince of the Most High God. When you read this text, you don't see Paul, woe is me, with the Eeyore syndrome going through the chapter. That's not Paul. You don't see Paul going through, oh, I'm such a prisoner. What am I going to do? I'm in shackles. That's not Paul. When you go through this text, I mean, you're like, good night alive. Paul later is going to say, hey, listen, we shouldn't leave Fairhaven. This, this is not a good choice here. But they'll go contrary to his advice. Later, he's going to speak over the entire ship, higher than the captain, higher than the centurion. He's going to stand up and say, listen, here's what my God told me that we need to do. This doesn't look like some mealy-mouthed person so worried and afraid to say anything. This is a guy who has a humble, divine confidence and air about him because he believes who he is based on who God defines him to be. Who are you? Who are you? Who defines you? Who told you who you are? Who told you? Where do you build your definition of yourself? Is it from the world? If you do, if you build yourself the way they define you and see yourself the way they define you, you will be totally wrong. You build and see yourself and define yourself as you see yourself. You say, yeah, I'm a pretty good person, good at heart. You know. Is that how you define it? Or do you take the Father's definition? By the way, I find it interesting in Matthew 16. Remember Matthew 16? Jesus speaking to his disciples. And just out of the blue, he comes up with this question for them. He says, hey, um, hey, who does everyone think that I am? Remember that? He goes, what's everybody out there talking about? Now, isn't it kind of funny that Jesus, who is omniscient, that means he knows all things. He knows all things because I want to hear from you. And so he's like, huh, let me think about that. Well, some think you're John the Baptist. Okay. No, don't look like JB. No camel hair, you know, not. I've been eating locusts lately. Some think you're John the Baptist. Then he says, others think you're Elijah. Man, Elijah, remember, he calls down fire from heaven and consumes the altar, the fire and the offering on the fire. You know what I mean. Like, oh, yeah, man, Elijah, that's cool. And he said, some think you're Jeremiah. And someone else said, well, some think you're one of the prophets. You know what, another, you know what they're saying? Eh, no one knows who you really are. Eh, they don't really have a clue. They're all guessing. Maybe John the Baptist, maybe Elijah, maybe Jeremiah, maybe one of the prophets. And he goes, oh, okay. Uh, who do you guys think I am? Don't be surprised when the world gets Jesus wrong. <laughs> right? You, know? you understand, they always get Jesus wrong, don't they? Don't be surprised at that. It's okay, Jesus didn't go, oh, I can't believe it, I can't. I'm ruined for life. He knew who he was. 
He goes, who do you say that I am? You are my apostles. Who do you say that I am? And then Peter. Don't you love Peter? Peter jumps right. Everyone else is like, hmm. It's like when I ask a loaded question, you don't want to answer. Because you know that it's a setup. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Eleven of them didn't say anything. He said, hmm. And then Peter says, I know who you are. You're the Christ. The anointed one, the Messiah. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the lights go up, bing, 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 bing. Yeah! He got it right. It's like the only time Peter just jumped in and got it right. All those other times he refers back to this time. He's like, yeah, maybe it's not, but I got it right that time, right? And he's like, man, I got a great answer there. Uh, but then Jesus smiles because he knows all things, doesn't he? And he says, Simon, or Jonah, son of Jonah, Peter. He said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. In other words, Thomas didn't whisper in your ear and say, tell him he's this. And John didn't say, hey, I think he's this. Why don't you speak for us? He said, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven told you. So who really defined him? Did Peter define Jesus? The Father in heaven defined Jesus. And if the Father did not define who Jesus was, I'll give you a hint. Probably all 12 would have got it wrong. <laughs> and isn't that cool? The Father's like, all right, he's setting you boys up, man. Here, let me help you out. He's the anointed Messiah. He's my son, the living God. Peter, saying, shoots up, I know who you are. <laughs> Jesus probably had a big smile. He says, yeah, it's my Father. Revealing me to people. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say that you are? Who are you? Who are you? God bless you. If you think you're a problem, then you'll live like a victim. You're the victim of every problem that's out there. And you're the cause rather than live like a victor. You will talk like a victim. You will talk and think like you're the problem. You will pray like you're the problem. You will believe like you're the problem. And then you will live like you're the problem. If you take what the devil defines you as, or as the world defines you as a prisoner that is shackled and you can't be delivered, then you know what? You'll do the same thing. You will walk like you're always in bondage. You will talk like you're always in bondage. You will think like you're always in bondage. And it's like, I can't get this off of me, Lord. And you will behave like you're always in bondage. Even though that Jesus said, He who has a son has life, who has not son has not life. And Jesus said that the son shall set us free. Amen? And if you know the son, you are free, what? Indeed. Indeed you are free. But if you listen to the devil, you're going to walk and talk and pray and believe and behave like you're in bondage. But if you listen to the Father, as the Father defines you, and he says, my son is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you believe Jesus is the king of kings? Okay, four. How about the rest of us? I mean, do you believe Jesus is the king of kings? Do you? I mean, do you really in a heart of hearts say, he is the king over all the kings? Do you really believe it? 
Well, then that same king, who's the king of all the kings and the lord of all the lords, is the same one who never lies, said, you are the sons and daughters of the living God. And if you are a son of a king, that makes you a prince. If you are a woman of a king, that makes you the princess, if you're the daughter. You get that? By the way, there's only two options. You are a prince or a princess of the living God. I'm serious. Do you see yourself as that? Do you see yourself as a prince, as a princess, and say, man, I belong to God. I'm God's. Yeah. And when he got on that ship, they all said, here's the prisoner. He said, no, I'm Paul. I'm the prince of God. He walked in that belief system, and he walked in God's favor. He walked in his favor. You believe you walk in the favor of God? I do. I do. The word favor is our word grace. How many have been saved by grace? Anyone? Okay. Been saved by grace. That means God's undeserved, unmerited, unearned. means there's nothing you can do, Tim, to deserve it. Favor. If I have been saved by the favor of God, and he says, grow now in the grace and the knowledge of God. He says, grow in that favor. Then you know what that means? Then that means that I have been saved by favor, and I walk in God's favor. And I believe that I walk in God's favor. And I believe that I walk in God's grace. Look at these guys. Paul's a prisoner. And yet verse 1 said, and we entered the ship. We is Luke that wrote, wrote the book of Acts, Mary, Dr. Luke. Luke is following. Whenever you see we in the book of Acts, it means Luke is with Paul. Other times he'll just say Paul is here or Paul is there. So Luke is with Paul right now. Luke's there and then Aristarchus is there. He was the guy, him and, and uh, his buddy Gaius that were in Ephesus. Remember, they're going, great is Diana, goddess of the Ephesians. And they tried to get Paul. They couldn't get Paul. So they said, oh, just grab Gaius and Aristarchus and throw him into the theater. Yeah, this is the same guy. And there he is on it. Does anything strike you odd that Paul is being sent to Rome on Rome's ticket? They paid the price, and Paul can bring his buddies. Hey, can Luke go with me? Sure. How about Aristarchus? Mm, yeah, come on. Yeah. Now, it wasn't a carnival cruise. I realize that. It certainly wasn't a love boat. It wasn't very good accommodations. But they let him go. I mean, how many prisoners take their buddies with them? Come on, I'm going to the Supreme Court. Follow, come with me. Okay. You know. And he takes them with him. And then, if that's not enough, then it says that Julius treated Paul kindly. He was a philanthropist to Paul. And when they got to harbor and they went to get off the ship, you know what he did? He took his chains off. He says, hey, you're at liberty. Hey, you know, go see your buddies. Go see your friends. So he knew Paul had friends there. He must have told him, oh, yeah, oh, we're going there. That's awesome. I got friends there. And he's like, Paul, you know, you could use a shower. <laughs> let them care for you. Isn't that what he said? Go see your friends and let them care for you. Minister to you. All right. If you're a prisoner on the boat, okay, I can understand if you're unshackled. All right, they say, I'll let them roam around. They're in that cell. They won't get out. They're good. 
But you don't usually, and, and by the way, if you're a centurion or thinking about being one, here's how this works. When you have the prisoners and you get to shore, and if you have to go on liberty, you usually cuff them to another one of your sar sergeants or soldiers in your regiment. You don't usually go there, oh, let me uncuff you. Go see your friends, Paul, and uh, meet us back here. I'm going to go see if I can find us a boat. I'll let you know when we have one and come on back. <laughs> Does anything strike you out about that? <laughs> How in the world did Julius come up with that idea? Because God put it in his head to let his servant go at liberty. And God put it in his head that Paul needs to be tended to. And God's in control, not Julius. And Julius says, okay, we'll see you when we get a ship and head, head to Italy. We'll let you know. That is the favor of God. Let me tell you something. I believe that as believers, we walk in God's favor. We should walk in God's favor. I believe that we need to say, wait a minute. I am a prince or a princess of the Most High God. I have the favor, the undeserved, unconditional favor of God in my life. And as I go through life, I walk with that belief system. When I go looking for a job, I go looking with the belief system. I have the favor of God. And if I go into the interview and it, and it falls through and I don't have that job, that's God's favor saying, no, not this one. I got another one for you over here. I walk in that favor. I believe in that favor. When you, when you go in that business meeting, do you rest knowing you are in the favor of God? When you have that business deal or that sales proposal, you go say, you know what? I am walking in the favor of God. My Lord never leaves me or forsakes me. He's right here with me. I am a prince or princess of the Most High God. And you can walk in not with, with human confidence, but godly confidence, humble confidence. And it's amazing the favor that God shows to us. And praise God for that favor when you see it. There's times I'm like, whoa. I had to make a call the other day to somebody and they, you know, I got through to the menu and said, oh, no, I can't talk to you. I got to talk to, you know, the, the, the company or whatever. I'm like, ugh. You ever gone through a whole menu? You live to tell about it. And then they say, yeah, I'm sorry, I can't talk to you. So after a long pause, deep breath, I said, I need help. This is what I'm trying to figure out and find out. And the lady goes, all right, let me see what I can do. That's the favor of God, friends. You say, oh, man, you were just smoozing her. And she's like, oh, felt sorry for you. No. That's the favor of God. And I give God the praise. And praise the Lord. You opened a door. You made a way where there seemed to be no way. And you put things together. And my God is great at orchestrating things. Amen. And if everyone seems to be against you, let me tell you, if God be for you, who can be against us? Amen? And God says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Do you believe it, Tim? If you do, then walk like you believe it. Walk with the belief system that you walk in the favor of God. And go forward. And watch how God gives you favor in situations you just say, wow. Now, don't test it by being obnoxious and see if you still get it. You know? <laughs> No, someone's like, oh. I mean, if Paul was obnoxious, Julius would have said, oh, forget it. But he walked before God uprightly. He had the favor of God. If you think this is, a, you know, a timism, it isn't. 
Read, read about Joseph sold into slavery. It didn't sound too good. And what happens? He gets favor before Potiphar. Even though, then he gets framed, wins blue country. Then he goes into prison. And what happens? He gets favor with the head jailer. And then other guys are supposed to help him out, don't help him out. And then what happens? God gives him favor, and Pharaoh has a dream. And he says, oh, here's a guy who can interpret dreams. And next you know, next you know, this guy who was sold into slavery that nobody wanted because he was a problem is second in command of all Egypt. Sounds like the favor of God. Amen? <laughs> I don't think it was just because Joseph was good looking. I've seen so many actors that play him, and I'm like, eh, I don't think so. <laughs> I think it was just because he had God's favor. And he walked in it. Every time I get discouraged, I have to remind myself, wait a minute. I have God's favor in my life. How much do you walk in that? How much do you tell yourself that? When all the other things are whispering contrary, how much do you put your anchor in that truth? I have the favor of the Most High God on my side. And I'm going to walk in it. And I'm going to believe it. Father, as we close out today, we may find winds contrary to us tomorrow. We may find the world buffeting us and knocking us up against the ropes. We may find things that just seem to be difficult from one verse of our life to the next verse. Father, at those times, would you remind us to remember who we are, who we are in this world. And we are just pilgrims passing through. <laughs> this isn't our home. Heaven's our home. Father, remind us who we are. And help us to believe and to walk in the favor of God. It is your grace, your undeserved, unmerited favor. Father, there may be some here today in this room or watching over the internet that they've just been beat up by life lately. Would you bring these truths deep into their heart? Take it past their mind, past their brain, past their intellect, and let it rest in the very bosom of their heart so they embrace it, so they walk it, so they believe it and live it. Move in our midst, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all say, Amen. Let's stand together as ministry team's going to come. They're going to be here to pray for you, maybe today. We're just going to take a minute or two. Maybe God's calling you for prayer. Folks are here to pray for you. Maybe you just want to leave something at the altar. You just come. As we sing, you come. Let us pray. You need healing today? Great day to get healed. You come.